Welcome to the Run Strong Podcast, episode 99. We're very close. The next one will be 100. Rob Jones and I are thinking up of something we will do for that, something special anyway. Today's show, we have a guest. We actually have on a, a very clever guest, a guest by the name of Daniel Norenberg, who is an applied sport psychologist and who has a wealth of experience. And we're going to chat to her very shortly, but I've just jumped on quickly through the intro for today's show, just to give our listeners a reminder that Project DXB is coming very soon. Applications will be open on October the 1st. You need to be ready to send us a mail or maybe give us a DM on Instagram and we can tell you how to apply. But this is our annual marathon program, which can take you from you could be sat on the couch. You may not have run at all in your life. You, maybe you're a good runner and you want a PB. Maybe you run a four-hour marathon and you want to do a 345. Maybe you run a three-hour and you want to do a 245. Whoever you are, if you want to run Dubai Marathon with a team who has been doing it year after year, who have got proven results, then we have the plan for you. It's called Project DXP. And as I said, it kicks off or applications open on October the 1st, ready to kick off training on October the 31st. So if you want to know more about that, please just email endurance at infight.com or head over to our Instagram, jump on there, tell us you want to know more. We can tell you about it. We can tell you how to apply and then you can see if you get in. Awesome. That's it from me today. Next up you will hear is our interview with Dr. Danielle Norenberg. Welcome to the show, Dr. Danielle. Thanks very much. It's a pleasure to be here. You have two last names, or is that a middle name and a last name? <laughs> There's two last names. Um, two last Adams names. is my maiden name. Nuremberg is my married name. I'm married to a Norwegian. <laughs> ah, I was going to ask where we're from. Mm. Nuremberg from Norway. Makes yeah. sense. Danielle, tell us a bit about yourself, what you do, how you've ended up on this podcast. Yeah, um, I am a sports psychologist. Um, I do a lot of my work with Team GB, predominantly with um, the Canoe Slalom pro UK Sport Funded Programme here in the UK. Um, I'm a psychologist at the English Institute of Sport uh, on that technical lead team, so supervising other practitioners in the country and working towards a good strategy for the EIS psych team. Um, I deliver at the English National Ballet as well, um, predominantly performance psychology, covering mental health, well-being and performance. Um, and also what led me here today, do some private consultancy uh, with some ultra runners. Uh, it's quite a, quite a new, new experience for me, um, but really loving it. It's a, a great way to expand the knowledge to something new yeah um how did I get here uh I was an elite athlete myself uh, I swam for the UK when I was younger um and then like a lot of athletes I think in the UK they're not really sure what to study so they go down the sports science route but I did that whilst I was on a scholarship in the states with my swimming um and then came back over here and I almost immediately decided I want to be a sports psychologist so everything went into that from there doing a master's and a PhD and, and training to deliver nice that's me in a nutshell <laughs> it's quite a big quite a big nutshell there it's quite a CV <laughs> yeah it is um we're gonna get on to how crazy ultra runners are later on in the show <laughs> I'm actually quite interested so you're working mainly with with individuals like 
uh, canoeists and, and ballet dancers, although they're part of a, a team, yeah, um, they're they're individuals within their chosen sport, right? Yeah. Is that do you think you favour that because you were a swimmer? I'm not sure if I favour that because I was a swimmer, but um, I've I've definitely grown in into that throughout my career. I did spend some time um, in a team sport uh, in netball. Um, and, and thoroughly enjoyed that. It, it's more the, the roles that have come up um, have just led me more towards the individual performance approach. And it's probably an area where I'm more knowledgeable now. I would never say no to a team sport in the future, um, but I've definitely been able to truly understand how to get the best out of individuals within a group or a program. So do a lot of culture work as well. Yeah. Um, because do you, do you think they're two different fields of sports psychology, individual sport and team sport? Or do you think they're, they're the same? Um, they're, I think they're very, very linked. The way I do my work is that I really try to help individuals understand themselves, develop a high level of self-awareness um, and a true understanding of where their strengths lie, what makes them unique so that they can use the self-awareness and understanding of their strengths to get the best out of themselves when it really counts. Obviously, there's a consistency element in there as well. And that applies to a team sport too. Um, that, what I learned in, in the team sport world is there, there's obviously a much higher commitment to doing something for the greater good of the team. Um, and if everyone can be self-aware enough and aware of their strengths to bring that to the team, it, it's going to just raise everyone. So the same approach applies, but maybe in just a slightly different lens. Yeah, it's, I really get interested with this side of, of sport psychology. Is the, I listen to some individual sportsmen and you hear nowadays how they're talking about a team, we like the yeah. group as a whole and they're talking about their coaches and their family and they've really built as you said a, a culture around them but yeah. their main focus is not about letting anyone else down it's about them getting to to a point where they feel that they've pushed their limits as far as they can go mm -hmm. but when you listen to a, a team sports player they talk about the culture around them but then they say like I had to put my body on the line or whatever it is for the team and I'm like, mm -hmm. there's the there's where the two forks in the road come yeah. is between individual and team. So for you going into a, you know, working with a single, uh, an individual within sport, and you talked about creating the right culture, how do you start that? Is it from the ground up or is it, do you go to the outside first and work your way in? Where do you begin? I think it really depends on how I'm brought in. Um, I do really work hard when chatting or talking to someone who's a potential new client to understand what it is that's brought them to me in the first place, what it is that they're looking for. Um, and in those early conversations, it might even be a little bit challenging uh, to find the ins and outs of what it is that they're looking for. Um, and that's where the culture really begins, I think, uh, an individual knowing what they want for themselves and how they want to work on creating a team for an individual performance or how they want to input to a larger culture that they're a part of. Um, yeah, so it really just 
does depend on who my client is in the moment. It could well be a sport, it could be an organization, or it could just be an individual. Um, yeah, good question. It's interesting because a lot of our clients, they they have these amazing goals and the road to them looks so easy. Yeah, you just wake, wake up when your alarm goes off at 5 a.m., do the training, and then what's going to go wrong? <laughs> and then slowly over the months, like it all unravels, like, oh, yeah, but then I had to go and do this and I didn't get to bed on time because of this and so-and-so invited me to a dinner and I felt bad, I couldn't say no. And we go through this with our clients all the time. It's like, okay, do they know what you want to achieve? And do you know what you want to achieve? Because until you've, you've set that, objective out like the people around you might be confused at what you're trying to achieve so they don't really respect your mm -hmm. goal or your time so like in the real world would you say that for someone who wants to maybe change their culture around them that being family colleagues friends that sort of thing that they really need to define what they want first I think so yeah we I did actually uh, a, a workshop recently with a group of um trail runners marathon runners and um ultra marathon runners sorry and uh we we started with that what do they want for themselves and it on a number of levels what do they want to experience how do they want to approach the journey ahead of them what do they want from the journey how do they want to perform how do they want to bring their personality to their performance so their experience of training towards an optimal performance is is actually a journey that's fulfilling and um I, th I think that's quite a hard it is quite a hard concept to embrace and it does take quite a lot of self-reflection and and challenging questions I think because in in our world in elite sport it's it's relentless um everything happens yesterday <laughs> and 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 the athletes are just training day in, day out for hours. Uh, and if you don't know what you what you want from that experience and, and how you're going to notice the things that you are enjoying and, and when your values are challenged so you can work through it and let go of what happened in yesterday's training session and be present for the next one, I think it's really critical to have an understanding of what you want from this experience I don't think it's an obvious question for someone to ask themselves or hasn't always been. Um, so I feel really fortunate that I'm in a position where I have the opportunity to ask people those questions. Do you, on that, do you kind of see the same types of personality across similar sports? So would the, the ballet dancers all be very similar or would the runners all be very similar and the canoeists all be very similar and face similar challenges and similar problems? Or is it very, very spread out? From my experience, there, there might be some similarities, but they tend to be because of the culture of the sport. So an individual who has spent 10, 15 years in a sport has like grown within that culture and might have explored themselves in a similar way to the next person. Yet we still see such a variety of, of personality traits and yeah, and ways of going about the sport, um, regardless of the, of the sport that they're in. It's really cool. And I really try and draw that out as well, because I think in this, in, in the notion of high performance and, and however you might interpret that, but individuals are really pushing themselves to be the best they could possibly be. And they're putting so much time into 
refining and, and working on any area of their performance they can. I believe if you're going to do that, you might as well figure out what it is that you're super good at and what makes you unique and different and, and try and create a training program or a approach to performance that truly represents what your, where your strengths lie. When um, you've used this word already, self-awareness, which is like a bit of a buzzword within psychology, <laughs> how, do you, how do you measure that? Like, what does it really mean and, and how do you measure it? For me, self-awareness, it is uh, an individual knowing a number of things about themselves. We've talked about a couple of those things already, what they want for themselves, their values, how they want to live, how they want to experience their world, their journey, what they want to bring to the relationships they, ha they have. Uh, and, and, and so, and, th and then working with that to create an experience that they, that they want for themselves, really. Then it evolves to sort of, when we're talking about performance and getting through training sessions, this idea of, of self-regulation, which is noticing how emotions, thoughts, and feelings will change and develop depending on the situation someone's in. And you hear, you hear buzz, buzz phrases that you all be so familiar with, control the controllables, et cetera, and, and, and focus on the process. And I think that's part of this, but being aware of the emotions that you're having and why you're having them can help you then retrace back to the process. Um, I do a lot of acceptance commitment therapy, which is very much about being aware of the likely thoughts that you're going to have in certain situations, being ready for them, not specifically, but just being ready for the fact that you're a human being. So you're going to have emotions and you're going to have thoughts that you just can't control. So yeah. if you're ready for the types of things, we can then work with them. And, and I talk about athletes performing with their emotions and their thoughts rather than pushing them aside to focus on the process. Love that. That's so, that's so good. No, that's really so good. It's really applicable to real life as well, because yeah. every day in your life, something's going to go wrong, whether it's in a high performing sporting scenario or just normal life. Yeah. So knowing how to deal with those situations, it's kind of learned anyway, isn't it? But lots of people don't know what they're doing or don't understand what they're doing at that time. Yeah, it's really hard. And you're, and you're going to be evolving, right? Like you said, what's hard today might not be hard tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what's super simple today actually might be a challenge next week just because of the way we grow and the way our brains work and how we can't control the thoughts and feelings that come our way. And yeah, it's difficult to make sense of. Um, but I think it's a worthy mission. <laughs> it's quite like, I want to stay on this topic because I think it's so relevant for our listeners, but often people say ultra is like life right and it, mm. it's become a bit cliche as well but like going through an ultra experience is like going through life experience like 10k in you might feel amazing or you, you might feel absolutely awful like rob recently did utmb um in the pyrenees and yeah. mate at, at 10k you were like dead i was almost. ready to, ready to stop <laughs> <laughs> ready to stop but everything was going wrong absolutely and, everything 150 kilometers later you're in elation crossing the finish line mm -hmm. and it's like yeah that can be life you know starting a business you the fit day one you think how the hell am i going to make this work and then three years down the line when you i don't know service your 1000th customer and you finally 
you know, broke even or whatever. And you're like, ah, oh, this feels amazing. And I think that's the thing people maybe who are more new to, to endurance sport, certainly endurance sport don't understand is like, and I think probably social media has a little bit to do with this. They think I always got to feel amazing. And yeah. I'm like, no, nine times out of 10, you're probably going to have a, a feel a little bit of pushback. And like you said at the start, unless you are aware of what you're actually doing and why you're doing it, then you're not even going to get out the front door. No, there's such a good, I've learned that about the, the ultra running as well. Um, and, and, and as a psychologist supporting ultra runners, it reminds me, no matter who I'm working with, how important it is for the individual that you're working with to lead and guide and bring their experiences to the table. Because I'm like completely amazed sometimes by what the clients in ultra running are, are achieving and doing. And, and this idea of Rob, you having that sort of 10K, oh my God, I don't know if I can do this. It's completely down to you. It's completely up to you. What am I feeling in my body that tells me I can keep going and I can keep doing this? And what do I know about myself and my body that also tells me I can keep doing this and keep pushing myself and evaluate my strategy, stick to the plan or, or evolve it slightly? Um, and that's where obviously your training comes in. Uh, and, and you can learn so much about yourself if you create good training <laughs> do you do you think a personality type like that can be learnt for somebody that's maybe never experienced that or if somebody always I want to say quits or stops or slows down when something gets hard will they keep that forever yeah I'm not yeah I understand what you're saying there I think less about personality more about emotion management and and thought and understanding thoughts so emotions emotional states being a mixture of thoughts feelings and behaviors right so it comes back to that question of why are you doing this and what do you want from yourself and and where the reflection post post a race is also so important i felt this at that moment in time and i wasn't sure if i wanted to carry on okay well tell me more about that um, what was it that made you carry on? Where is the strength? Where is your strategy that helped you carry on? Is there anything different that you might have liked to have done in that in that moment now you finished? Mm -hmm. And then maybe there's there's a reflection from a training session, which is, yeah, I, I, I couldn't carry on. I stopped. I, okay, well, tell me more about that. <laughs> what was it that led you, led you to stop? What was going on for you? What were the thoughts that you were experiencing? What sensations were you noticing? Or were they messages from your body that actually it was suffering and it needed to stop? Or was it something that you'd like to find a way to work through next time? Um, yeah, and, and it just comes down to what, what do you want for yourself? Why are you here? <laughs> it's really interesting because yesterday we did a, a track session with our with our athletes and it was a, a testing session. And as soon as you put the word test to something, it seems that everybody freaks out. <laughs> and, you know, if it was just if you said someone run 400 meters hard, one kilometer hard and three kilometers hard, as hard as you can, they could probably go and do it. But attaching the word test to it just seem yeah it just I don't know you see people just crumble and slow down and not understand what's going on it's really really interesting to see 
But then you see some people thrive in that situation and really, yeah. really excel. Yeah. It's, it's crazy, isn't it? it I, it's, it's similar to if I say to you, don't think about your favourite flavour ice cream, right? It, you can't control this vision or sensation <laughs> of your favourite flavour ice cream, even though I've told you not to. This ironic processing theory that our brains are susceptible to, don't push the red button or what happens if I do it? it's a similar thing with with relation to this idea of a test it it, it, it's just a word a label a thought it it doesn't change what the challenge actually is the 4k the 1k it's still the same thing um but that word brings this emotional drive to the table that depending on what your goal is and, and what you want for yourself you probably want to let go of that in some way shape or form you know that with this with this session comes emotions thoughts and feelings um and and if you know what effect that word has on your thoughts feelings and emotions you can then figure out well, what's my process how do I get the best out of myself for this event because actually the fact that the word test is at the beginning of this session doesn't change the task um yeah the, there's another metaphor that someone I can't remember who it was told me yeah shared with me it's like a plank of wood on two buckets off the ground and take that same plank of wood and and put it across two skyscrapers the task is essentially the same but all of a sudden you're so much higher up in the higher up in the sky and the risk is higher it all of a sudden becomes a different task when actually it's not um it's consequences very are, are much higher huh the consequences are just much higher yeah you get it wrong like the yeah. test situation the consequences of knowing um at where i thought i would be in my training um mm. the implications that that might have on the race i have in a month's time <laughs> uh, brain all of a sudden starts thinking about the past and jumping ahead to the future and that adds to the emotional sensation of the experience <laughs> i think something really uh, relevant these days and, and probably has been for the last 10 years with with athletes as well and even before that with the media in terms of newspapers and, and reporters and things but social media is just causing chaos at the moment with with a lot of people in their minds where do you where do you talk to and how, how do you talk to an athlete when they're talking about social media and like they feel pressure that they may have seen it somewhere that they're expected to perform or they feel like they're meant to perform and they see it every day on social media and they feel like they have to always show them themselves to be best on it. Like I used to think it's easy, just get off it. But unfortunately part of the process or part of the job of being an athlete these days is to be on there and to be promoting stuff. It's like how they can make a living as well. So kind of have to do it. Yeah. Where do you start when people are feeling unneeded pressure from social of people they have no idea who they are, you know, armchair experts, all of that can be tough I think I think for some individuals they they will feel emotions and have an experience that might not be so enjoyable as a result of engagement on social media so I think it be it can be hard to manage obviously um I try to get I try to create a platform for an individual if, if something like that is, is on their mind or bothering them, that they bring it to the table for discussion. Um, 
why are they doing it what do they want from it again <laughs> aware of values and and we try and use this understanding that normally someone's going to have a, a negative reaction or response that they don't like to something because it's challenged their values um if, if, if you can figure out what value that's challenged and 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 why that's sparking something um that's uncomfortable in you um I'm I'm less likely to say to someone get off social media so I think I don't want to ask what's what's causing you to want to be off social media like, yeah. what, what is it doing for you what buttons is it pushing that perhaps we could learn from and get on top of so actually engaging in social media becomes a choice sounds very perfect and no one's perfect I'm not perfect I struggle with things all the time um but I think it's good to ask why I want to what do I want to be on social media for so there is always a choice not necessarily a need um and if it's because you need to create a profile or maintain a profile for for funding purposes then make that a choice <laughs> um because it will then allow you to do the thing that you love which is your sport if that makes sense I think that's golden. Why why are you on social media? It's the best question ever. <laughs> I, bet, I bet no one really knows, truly, unless you're doing it for your business. Like I do it because I get inquiries and that's how I I fill up my athlete roster, or I do it because I get paid to promote this. But for the everyday runner, why are you on social media? This is yeah. such a good question. I'm gonna start asking a lot of people that. What do you want from it? I'm asking myself right now. <laughs> Why, why might you be? Go on, have a go. I'm thinking back to when I started. My first ever social media account was Bebo. I remember setting it up in the university library. And at the time, I only did it because everyone else was doing it. And it was the yeah. careers at the time, wasn't it? And, you know, you'd sit with all your friends and then you'd follow all your friends. So it was just, it was crazy because you'd see them every day, all day, every day anyway. Um, and then I guess it transitioned to keeping in touch with from, uh, family and friends a bit like the Facebook careers but now I don't know yeah I, I mean naturally know. human beings are have a drive to belong and and mm. have some kind of obviously connections with people so there's an obvious sign of connection for you there um, and that still might be true and I'm sure that would be fine <laughs> yeah actually do you know what though I I do make sure that the people that I follow are all very similar to me in terms of what I like at the minute. So I'll follow, I follow ultra runners. I follow some big brands that are in the running scene. And so all of my content that I consume, if you like, is all around running. And then I follow some nature pro channels and programs as well. Yeah. Um, but depending on how I'm feeling, I do change who I follow. So I'll, you know, I'll go through and I'll wipe everybody off and, you know, if I'm feeling different, I'll follow different people and who's, you know, who's big in the running scene or who's up and coming. I'll, I'll change as That's I go really through. Interesting. Yeah, I'm the same. I only follow someone who has something to teach me um, and I'm brutal with it. Like I don't really follow friends because I'm not on there to follow friends. I have WhatsApp. And I'm or, your only friend. <laughs> you're my only friend on there. Or like, uh, like I don't follow my athletes because I don't yeah. use it as an athlete monitor. Like it's mm -hmm. not there for me to track athletes. So mm -hmm. I think we, we have a great culture where we work with around social media and stuff. We always have fun with it. We don't dwell on anything on there. 
And I know are we, um, we encourage all of our coaches to use social media because it's a very powerful advertising tool in the Middle East, like far larger than it is in the, in the UK or probably the US. Yeah. Um, so it's a pretty solid reason as to why, but the, when some, I think probably four or five scenarios this year where people have come to me and they're not feeling great. And it always comes around to the conversation of, and then I opened Instagram and I felt even worse. Oh no. And it's like, just don't open Instagram then. It's like you're saying, but that's like saying, don't think of your favorite flavor of ice cream. <laughs> exactly. Like, what is it that made you feel? So yeah, you're right. Instead of saying, just delete it, say, well, what is it about that that makes yeah. you feel that? Um, that leads me to a next question, which I think I know the answer to, but do you think you learn more from winning or losing? I've, I've, I might frustrate you and others here, but I'll, I'll rarely answer a question in, with a black and white answer. That's good, otherwise you'd have a <laughs> five-minute show. <laughs> I'm the difficult, difficult person that will go, well... Mm. It depends. Yeah, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> That's true psychologist, isn't it? We need to do some more research to find out. I think success brings so many clues um so if you have managed to experience or perform in a way that's aligned to what you wanted from yourself there's going to be so many clues in that um so the the review of an experience like that is so important because yeah you want to try try to figure out what went well there and what was I good at um what did I bring that made that performance good. And even in the challenges that occurred within that success, you're gonna have so many golden nuggets. Um, and then of course, there's again, so much to be learned from something that hasn't gone as well as you'd hoped either. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of how you debrief it. I think so, yeah. Yeah, okay. we always plan to review every time, regardless of outcome. That's the, pro right. that's the process, right? Like there's not only a process around how you prepare and perform, there's a process around around even that as well, which is the planning, the doing and the reviewing. And you just rotate, you just keep going through that plan, do review cycle. And if you can commit to that as often as possible, you'll get the, mi the mixed bag of learnings, I think. Plan, do, review. I love that. Plan, do, review. I have a next question you work with athletes what was your answer to the question which question about winning and losing question. <laughs> well i i thought you were going to say uh, a loss and the reason being you often lose more than you win yeah yeah i think um and I, and I think it's good to preach that you don't you never actually lose if you always see losing as a learning experience yeah um, but yeah, you chucked in it, depends on it. And then talked about winning and clues. So you threw me right off. <laughs> Sorry. Before Tom asks his question, I'm going to follow on from that a little bit. Say the difference between winning and losing, how much um, would you say people can deal with immediately after a loss or after a success? How much um, can they deal with short term or how can they make short term, like quick fixes versus long term planning yeah uh I, I think this is aligned to your question it's on my mind at the moment because i'm working on a project on performance decompression post the olympic games mm. um and 
some colleagues and myself across the EIS psych team. Well, we originally, I originally had a project on lockdown debrief, which was debriefing individuals experience of lockdown and the pandemic, particularly before athletes, coaches and staff in the UK system went back to training after a period of not being able to do that. So we've now evolved that project to performance decompression. Um, we've got our heads together. We've looked at all different kinds of research. We've looked at um, how the Red Cross actually support support and provide support to hostages coming back into civilization um, because that's an experience that's happened to them. So that was similar to lockdown. We've also looked at uh, individuals who have been away at sea for a long time coming back home, individuals that have been in jail perhaps and, and then coming back into society and figuring out what we believe is the best process of performance decompression. Um, and we've given it four stages actually. First one being a hot debrief, uh, one where an individual group or team just shares the instant reflections. There'll be lots of emotion in there. There'll be lots of logic too. Um, either way, there are really raw, important pieces of information that come immediately after the experience or the performance. Then we're recommending this idea of a time zero, which is a complete break from the environment of which the performance took place in. Um, so engage in the present moment, ride the waves of emotions that will come from in reflection of that performance and, and really try to connect with friends, family, nature, and, and, and try to almost look at those really basis of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like our physical and emotional sense of belonging and security, get that in place. Um, and then go through a process, the emotion stage, where you reflect on meaningful moments within the performance experience and what emotions came with those meaningful moments, uh, work through them, process them, be okay with them um, so that they don't raise their ugly heads later down the road. Um, find out what strategies were used, what strengths and skills came out in the challenges of those emotionally challenged or charged meaningful moments then get to your performance review. Wow. And logically look at the performance and look at what you did in comparison, what you intended, how did you adapt, uh, what went on for you. Um, and so we're recommending that like, especially after the, the Olympic games, uh, which is obviously, you know, this time around was five years of preparation at the very least. Um, and then it's a very big experience. Um, but we also think that that type of performance decompression process is gonna be important probably on a regular basis as well. Um, after a significant period of time, a significant project, um, a big race. Um, but yeah, and so that should be a pretty decent way to draw out what you need to draw out. I love that. That's great. I absolutely love that. It absolutely segues into my question, which is even better because oh, fans of the show know how much I love a segue. Loves a good segue. In in this time then of, of decompression, like I assume training isn't even shouldn't be even on the table. People should be just taking a lot of downtime. What is one of the practices that you recommend for people to do for their psychological health that isn't exercise? Yeah, it goes back to that time zero piece. That's the time in the whole performance decompression process that I'd personally be recommending people to, to 
to not train, uh, to try to take a break from their sport. The idea is like shift the focus. Again, that's a little bit like acceptance commitment therapy is do something different to what your brain and body have been doing that allows your brain to be more in the present moment, to start to notice things that you might not have been so astute to previously. Um, it's harder to do on a day-to-day -day basis to, pra to pra practice being in the moment and the intention to be mindful can be done when you're repeating things day in day out when I was training the guy who trained me said that you know he has the same walk from his house to the station and has done it for 20 years but he challenges himself to notice something different every day or notice 20 things different every day and and that is the intention to be mindful it's harder to do when you've been doing the same thing day in day out so this time zero is an opportunity to start to notice things that you haven't noticed before and so that would be the recommendation for that potentially two week period that you give yourself a pause after the performance, after the hot debrief. And like I said, like engage in the present moment, notice what's around you, ride the waves of emotions because thoughts and feelings related to your performance are gonna come. And, 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 and try to remind yourself that you're going to do this debrief afterwards. So allow those thoughts and feelings to ride over you like waves. They're inevitable. They'll come and they'll go. Um, and then the third piece in that, in that break is to just be curious and connect with friends, family and nature. Um, ask questions of people that, that aren't related to what your intentions are in relation to your performance. <laughs> Give your mind and body a break and a different kind of stimulation those would be my three recommendations for a time zero ride the wave connect with others <laughs> and be in I love the that well, the best thing i like is you didn't say do a gratitude journal <laughs> <laughs> one more person recommends gratitude journaling in a journal about something else it can be helpful <laughs> so um, would you like to promote your gratitude <laughs> journal right now or <laughs> gratitude journaling app <laughs> you you also said a word earlier on in the show uh twice which was the word unique yeah how how do you understand like some people don't want to be new unique and then you said new unique unique yeah. um do you think being unique is you, you can't control it as in everybody is unique or do you think it's something that some people should try to do more of and understand why they're unique or that some people actually need to realize sometimes that they're not unique and everyone has these daily troubles and thoughts? Good question. Processing it. Uh, <laughs> we can drop some interlude music in, no problem. <laughs> Uniqueness becomes relevant predominantly where I work with individuals who are really pushing themselves to achieve upper limits of potentially what's possible, mm. mostly because they are doing it day in, day out, um, and they have aspirations to be the world's best. Um, that doesn't mean that I don't think exploring where your strengths lie that make you unique isn't important for everyone else because I do, I think it is um, but it's important for the high level athletes because it's very easy to focus on what's not good, what's gone wrong 
what they need to do better uh, and focus on yeah the errors so uh, it, it's so helpful for a young athlete particularly to start to think about why are they good what makes them good what strengths skills and strategies do they have that's got them to where they are today and and can they talk about it can they name it can they articulate it are they okay to say do you know what i'm pretty good at this that's the base that's the basis of starting to develop a bit more self-awareness to be able to acknowledge what you think you're good at Mm. and then we see individuals that do perform on the world stage and achieve gold medals medals as such that's not what i think is important but that is a lot about what we do. We help individuals aspire to win to win medals within the UK sport program. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to find a way to help individuals thrive through that challenging journey by focusing on their strengths and their uniqueness, but also give them an opportunity to demonstrate that uniqueness because it's highly likely that that's what's going to help them win the difference that they have. It's getting that balance right so that we're not focusing so much on the medal or the success, but we are focusing on the journey Um, because that's where skills, that's where strategies are learned, that's where enjoyment and fulfilment happens. Um, We saw lots of athletes post the Olympic Games talk about being the same person no matter what happened. You know, I'm still that person um, that came to the games without a medal i'm still the person that came to the games who wanted a medal it hasn't changed really anything about who i am and what's important to me might have changed what activities i have on 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 the cards for the next month or so but it doesn't change inherently who i am would uniqueness also define the journey you've been along so if you're comparing yourself to someone else understanding that you're unique helps you to understand that that person might not have had the struggle that you had at certain age or might not have to work the extra hours that you have to work. So actually by comparing yourself, you can't because they're not the same as you. You are unique in your own life from an amateur perspective. Yeah, that's really well put. It's um, I think it's important for anyone who's striving to achieve something for themselves through the journey or the outcome that they're doing it for themselves with what they think is right at the time. And, and using information from other sources in a logical way that informs the process. Um, and that's relevant in, in a long race as well. I talk about that quite a lot with the clients I work with in, for ultras, is that it's really, cool, it's really good and helpful to have an idea of what, that, what the course looks like and what it might demand from you. Uh, if you can recce it, brilliant. But also you can learn from what the terrain is supposed to be like and, 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 and look at that race map and go, where do my strengths lie based on what I know about myself and my training and how can I apply that to this course? So you've got a bit of a blueprint plan for yourself based on yourself. But I, I, I'm aware that you'll have lots of different things going on throughout that race and some of that will be related to competitors that you just can't ignore but being able to logically evaluate whether it's important for you to take that information to adapt your plan to get the best out of yourself. And you're going to notice those things. So I notice these people are now seemingly to picking up their speed. What does that mean for me? Now, my plan was to maintain my speed here. What have I got ahead of me? 
no, actually, I'm not going to follow the pack. I'm going to stick with my plan because I know where my strengths and my uniqueness lies. Mm -hmm. I think it's a philosophy you can apply right from the bottom up in terms of how you train and how, how you then you go about planning for racing based on how you train. Long-winded answer there, sorry. Lovely. No, I think answer. we've got time for one more. Um, from your experience, what do you think holds people back the most? Oh, what a question, Rob Jones. You're welcome. <laughs> what do I think holds people back the most? There's a cliche answer. No, I, like um, the thing that comes to my mind right away is very much related to the psychology I do. And, and that is this idea that as human beings, we have thoughts and feelings that come to us that if we attach ourselves, our mind, if we believe in those thoughts, feelings, it can change how we respond. Um, and, and I think it's, it's really important when you want something for yourself, or you're working hard towards something is to be able to notice those thoughts and feelings and make a choice as to whether you're going to be guided by them or not. And because those thoughts and feelings, they can come over us, we can be attached by them. And before we know it, we're engaging in what I call avoidant behaviors or behaviors that move us away from who we are and who we want to be. Um, so being able to recognize that that is the thought that comes from an emotional experience in the past or actually has just come up right now. And, and if I engage in that thought, it's really going to take me away from who I want to be and what I want from this experience. And I probably think that's my answer to that question right now. <laughs> that's a good answer. So it's, it's almost like you need to be emotionally intelligent with your own self. Yeah. Self-awareness. All yeah. comes back to self-awareness. And, and have the bravery to let go. It's really hard to let go of those thoughts because like in, in really heightened emotional situations, it can feel like they're the truth. It can feel like I am not good enough to carry on past this 10K in this really long race I'm, I'm embarking on. Like I could be susceptible to believing those thoughts. And that's the power of our emotions. The emotion trumps logic. Mm -hmm. and and if we if we hook onto those thoughts attach to those thoughts dwell on them they can actually come back at us harder and stronger um and i think it's why challenging ourselves ourselves in training for a performance in a way that makes you feel super emotionally uncomfortable is really important we do that a lot in canoeing um over a, a couple of years build a good relationship with an with an athlete so that they can then say I feel really uncomfortable when I'm in this position all right well let's put you in that position as often as we can and let's expect you to find it really hard to start with but let's reflect and review and let's figure out what you need to be able to be more comfortable with that discomfort next time so that you don't buy into those thoughts and you focus on the process and deliver what's right for you so good we need to let you go. You've thank got someone you. to go and help, I'm sure. You've just <laughs> helped a lot of listeners. And uh, so thank you so much for your time, Danielle. Um, I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this. It's been great to, to chat with you guys. Thanks. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye. Oh, mate, quite a bit to digest there. I've actually got 
a solid page of notes. Yeah, I was writing down things. I've got my pen and my paper there as well. Your uh, your last question was was brilliant, and it, it reminds me. I have a. You can actually see it because you can see me on Zoom, but mm-hmm. this right here says. It all begins and ends in the mind. What you give power to holds power over you. And that's when you said that question, I was like, yourself. The answer is yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but she answered it very, very well. I think she, yeah. she answered a lot of it like a true psychologist does more with, with questions, basically, isn't it? Answering yeah. questions with questions, but so useful there. So useful. I love I love splitting up or the performance decompression. I love mm. that splitting up into your hot debrief where everything's instant and raw and then going to time zero where you take a break. And actually, we say that a lot to athletes after a big event. You need that time. Lots of people want to jump straight back into training, but you just need that time to, to decompress mentally, emotionally, and reconnect with other things. It's really good. Calm down. Yeah, that's it. I think uh, more nowadays, people are understanding that you like when you're training, you're breaking yourself down. And when you're recovering, you're building yourself back up. But I think people are still yet to learn the, the huge benefit of giving your brain space. Like I like yeah. to call it space. Like, okay, I've worked all day and I can't just continue to work on through the night. Like you have to go and stop, sleep, decompress, which is, you know, the word that she used. And then the mm-hmm. next day you're suddenly you're like, oh, I can work again. Yeah. And it's like, if you, if you can understand that from a fundamental human standpoint, then surely you can apply the same thing to your training is okay. For the last six weeks, you've trained every day and you've done it really, really well. But to a point now your brain is starting to say, can we please have a break? And that's okay. Go take two, three days of doing nothing. Give your brain the space and you will, will be amazed. But in two to three days, you're going to go, Oh, I want to go actually go training again. Yeah. I actually had a, I had a client call before this and he said pretty much exactly the same thing. We've just done a huge six month block up to uh, an ultra marathon that he's running this weekend. And he said, I've, I feel like I'm ready to race. I need a complete break because I, the last time I've trained and committed six months to anything was in the military. Yeah. He said, it's just, it's phenomenal what we've achieved in this six months. And I'm, you know, I'm so fired up to race, but after that, I need that break. And he's identified already, which is great. Yeah you get better at it as you go. Like a few weeks back when I was planning my next build for Portugal, my coach was talking to me and she's like, you know, what do you feel like you want to do? And I was like, I I just want to go ride my mountain bike on the trails. I I really don't want to think about going on the road. And she was like, "Mm, that's not a great, that's not a great sign. And as it happens, things have played out that I won't race Portugal anyway, but that feeling was already there. And you know, that's where self-awareness comes in of like, okay, don't get frustrated that you're not actually looking forward to the training. Like you will, you'll get there. But for now, understand that you probably just need to go ride your mountain bike or go and do something different and mm. you go and do it. And then suddenly you found a way, oh, actually, yeah, I do want to carry on doing, doing uh, like triathlon riding or whatever that type of riding is. And yeah, like I was a bit sick of running on the beach track, but actually having a week off, I kind of missed the beach track. So I'm ready to go back and run on it. And like, it all comes back to what she was talking about, self-awareness, right? Like if you can understand Definitely. where those thoughts are coming in and, and help reframe them, then uh, you're going to go a long, a long, long way rather than being super reactive with, uh, with those thoughts. And suddenly, you know, one day of bad training and you think the whole world's gone, gone to shit and, you know, you can't do the race that you plan to do. What was the, the way you said it? Plan, do, review. Or is that plan, you do, said review. that? Plan, do, no, review. Plan, do, review. 
She said it, yeah. You plan it, you do it, you review it, and then repeat. Repeat. The only thing I wanted to ask her is what her favorite book is, but didn't get around to it. I'll WhatsApp her and ask. There you go. And then we'll, uh, on the show, the next show, show 100, I'll tell you what that book is. Shit, mate. People are asking me about show 100. (laughs) I haven't really got an answer. (laughs) That would have been a good show 100. Maybe we can push it. Yeah, we can't. uh, (laughs) We can't go 98 and then 100. I've already introed it. Problem. Damn. Damn. Mate, you're going to Jordan soon. Two weeks. I am. End of next week, I am. And? And I'm, I'm excited. I'm ready. Listening to what she was saying there, um, you know, just think about planning for the scenarios that go wrong. If somebody, because, well, me and Marcus are obviously running and there's Abdul and there's a few other clients, some of whom I know have strengths in different areas that I don't have. Um, and it'd be very easy because I'm quite susceptible. I like to, you know, push myself. So if somebody says, let's go, well, I'll usually go with them, mm-hmm. but I have a race strategy and plan in mind. And I'm very adamant that I'm going to stick to it and we'll see what happens. That's awesome. Good. Guys, I remember at the start of the show, I told you about Project DXB, the Dubai marathon program that you need to reach your PB or maybe complete your first marathon. We can help mm-hmm. you the whole way along. Just email endurance at innerfight.com and we'll tell you how to apply. Applications open October the 1st. Then you have a small window to get your applications done and then you'll be ready to go if you get chosen from October the 31st. Uh, nothing else to plug at the moment, mate. We're no. streamlined the show. Yes, we have. Streamlined More show. More good content, less waffle. Brilliant. That's it. Thank you very much for listening, guys. The next episode is episode 100. Can't quite believe we've done a hundred episodes of this podcast. I know. Amazing. People still listen and download <laughs> and more. We're growing. We're growing. Yeah, it. We are. Never going to be able to stop. We'll be doing this in our eighties. If you really enjoy the show, please go and rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. And if you really want to help us share it to a friend, tell them to listen and we will appreciate it very, very much. That's it from us. We'll be back next week with show 100. Thank you for listening. Thank you.